Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank You that You work in our lives. Father, You are a gracious God. You are the Maker of everything that we see. And yet, Lord, You love us. And You're close. And You're with us now. We thank You for that truth, Lord. And no matter what we may see in in the world around us, no matter how much our hands may tremble and how much we may grieve in our spirit over the brokenness of the world or the brokenness in the life. Lord, we know that You are in control and that You showed us Your love by entering this broken world as the perfect man, as the God of the universe. And You came to bring us life. Life to the full. God, may we communicate that clearly to a world that's waiting to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you read about Jesus when He was on earth and and living as a man, as the perfect man, it can honestly be a little bit confusing at times. Because you read the things that He says and you read the things that He does and And it's just striking because it doesn't really align with what you immediately thought He might do or say. And honestly, in in seeing the person of Jesus and in reading the whole Bible, I want to warn us today about a misunderstanding about Christianity. About a misunderstanding about what it means to know the Lord. Because I think that many, many people around us have a wrong idea about what we're doing here. They have a wrong idea about what the Gospel is and what it is to be a follower of Christ. And I'm burdened over this. I'm burdened over misunderstandings about what the Gospel really is and what the Gospel really means. And I think potentially, even in this room, there are some that maybe have a misunderstanding about what Christianity is. You see this reflected in Jesus' interaction with primarily one major group in your New Testament, and that is the Pharisee leaders, the the religious leaders of the Jewish nation, who made a very common mistake. And it's a mistake that you can call, the title for it is moralism. Moralism. Now here's what moralism is. Moralism is the idea that, that God has given us His law, God has given us His Word so that we can make some moral improvements in our lives. We can can be better people. We We can be more loving. We can be more giving. We can be more sacrificial. We can be more selfless. And so we take these moral improvements, we find them in God's Word, and and we try to put those into place in our life, and then we hope that at the end of our life, or the end of some marking period, we look more moral. Moralism is what this is. And when we talk about the Ten Commandments, there's a real potential for drifting into moralism. You know we've been walking through a a series on the Ten Commandments, and and I want to warn us about a misunderstanding about what these commandments are expressing. Okay, Now remember what we've talked about. I think I have it up on the screen here. One more slide forward, I believe. We've been looking at primarily the last couple weeks the, the final four commandments that have all to do with trusting God. Trusting God in our marriage and our sexuality. Trusting God in our possession. Trusting God in the truth today. 
And next we're going to talk about, next week that is, trusting God in our joy. Not coveting, but trusting that God has given us exactly what He intended for our joy. But we have this command today, and, and you probably know it as, you know, do not lie or something like that. And in reality, it's we are not to, to be a false witness. We, we're, not to, we're not to speak falsely. And in the words actually had to do with in a very court of law. And we're going to talk today about what it means. But I want to warn us about something before I even delve into the ninth of the Ten Commandments. And that's this. God's desire is not our moral improvement. God is not trying to make you and me a better moral person. He's not trying to shine you up and improve you and make you better. That's not the purpose of the law. That's not the purpose of God's Word. That's not God's purpose for us. God gives us His Word so that we can know Him. So that we can see what He is like. So we can see His person. And we can then allow Him, see Him make those changes in us. But we must be very careful that we don't make the Gospel and moralism equal or equivalent. Because they are not. But you and I both know that most of our neighbors out here, most people that we interact with, they think, here's what they think we do. They think we come in here and we talk about how to be better boys and girls. How to make moral improvements. And then go out in the world and live like a better moral person. That's what they think we're doing in here. Many people. What they don't understand is this. Romans 2 is very clear. It says that with, with God, there is no favoritism. God doesn't play favorites. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all fall short. Whether you're a good moral person or a not so good moral person, God doesn't play any favorites. We don't have any hope of being moral enough to please God. Today we're going to talk about not lying. But we need to understand, this is not a call. It is not a call to morally improve yourself, to be more honest. That's not what God's Word is calling us to. God, God explains to us that dishonesty is sin, that lying is sin, for a few reasons. Primarily to show us that He is truth. That no matter what else goes on, no matter what you or I believe, no matter what we see, God is above all of that and He is truth. And so anything that, that branches away from Him is not of Him. He is truth. A second reason we have God's law about lying or any of the rest of God's law is we see that God is truth and we quickly realize we aren't. We aren't. And I know that you know and I know we are not truth. Why is it in a second we'll lie? We will guard ourselves and lie in an instant we'll lie. We'll exaggerate. We'll hide the truth. We'll stretch the truth. We'll, we'll deceive our friends. We'll deceive our family. We'll deceive our spouse. In a second we try to cover our sides with a dishonest word or, or look or, or intent. And that's when we realize, listen, 
Moral improvement for me is impossible. Moral improvement for you, impossible. We know our hearts. They cannot be improved. God didn't come, Jesus didn't come to the world to improve you. He came to the world to reborn you, if that were a word. He came that we might be born again. Because improvement won't do it. It requires a death and a resurrection to new life. That's how slanted towards dishonesty you and I are. Shining up won't do it. There's got to be death and resurrection in order for my heart to be changed. And it's not just me, so don't look at me with that look. It's you too. In order for our hearts to be changed, there has to be death and resurrection. Moralism is a lie. And it's always a convenient counterfeit for the Gospel. And any time we talk about the law, we have to understand this is not to improve us. This is to reveal the character of God. To reveal the character of you and me. And show that we need born again. Very, very important that we understand that. As we go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father in Heaven, Lord, we recognize our need for You. Lord, change us. The world needs to hear the true Gospel. All have sinned. With the law, without the law. All have sinned. All are morally failures. All. And so we need You to remake us. Thank You, Lord, that You came to earth and died so that we could live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Exodus chapter 20. I'd love for you to join me there. We're going through a series on the Ten Commandments. We're at commandment number 9 this morning. Commandment number 9. It's pretty quick. It's pretty simple. But boy, does it have a lot to say to us. It has a lot to say to us. I said 9. I meant 8. We're at commandment number 8. And, and it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. It says this. I'm, it is 9. I keep getting that mixed up. Verse number 16 is where I'm at. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 16. And it says this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. As we've already said today and repeatedly many, many times, the last four commandments are about trusting God. What about trusting God? But this one is unique. This, this command is a little unique compared to all the others. And, and, import, and it's important for us to understand the importance with God that truth is. Truth is a very important truth to God. I mean, Jesus Himself said, I am the way and the truth. Did He not? He said that He is the truth and the truth will set us free. And here, one of the ten... So when God was going to declare His law in the, in the ten fancy chunks, okay, pretty simple, here they are, one of them deals with truth in our speech. Now there's a long history of lying and a call to honesty 
throughout your Bible. It's been an issue for people since the, literally the beginning of time. There's an interesting verse in John chapter 8. It's at verse number 44. It's the words of Jesus. Just listen to it. Jesus says this in John 8, 44. Speaking to these religious leaders who had fallen into moralism, they had fallen into thinking that God's call was moral improvement. We sometimes call it legalism, but in reality, it's moralism. That God's trying to call... This is their thinking. That God wants me to be a better person and then He'll accept me. No. No. So listen to the words of Jesus to these religious teachers. He said, you are of your father the devil. Jesus spoke of the devil, of Satan in real, literal terms. He is a true spiritual person. Satan is. Who is, an, who is the enemy of God. And Jesus says, your will to these religious leaders is to do your father's desire. And their father, he just said, was the devil. Jesus goes on. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, now he's speaking here of the devil. Listen to what Jesus has to say. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus here, speaking of Satan in real, literal terms, says he is the father of lies. And as you go back to the first page of your Bible and start reading through, you see this great father of lies working in his children's lives to lie over and over again. You go right into the garden. Go to the Garden of Eden. The father of lies comes to, you could say, the mother of all humans, Eve. And what does he do? He lies to Eve in his temptation. And he says, you will not die. You will not surely die if you eat from this forbidden fruit. You will not die. And there's a lie told. And Eve is deceived. Deception. She receives the lie and leads her husband to sin. And that starts a, a whole account of lying throughout your Bible. Cain lied to God. Where is your brother? I don't know, he says. He lied, to, he lied to Abel. Come out in the field with me. Come on out, Abel. As he deceives him and then takes his life. You page a couple more pages to Genesis chapter 12 and you have Abraham. This is the one that God chose. This is, this is a man that God chose and said, I'm going I'm to bless the world through you. And what does Abraham do in the first chapter of the biblical account? He lies about his wife. He says to his wife, he calls her to the side and says, hey, listen, you're a beautiful woman. If the king sees you, he's going to want you. And in order to do that, he's going to kill me. So let's lie and say that you're my sister. And she says, okay. And that's what happens. And it continues on. This, this record of lying that's going on. You have Jacob, the great liar, who lies to his father and says, yes, I am my brother Esau. You have Joseph and his brothers who lie to their father and say that Joseph was killed by some you know, horrible animal. And it goes on and on and on. And listen, the father of lies... The father of, of all lies is there just rubbing his hands together in victory. 
in victory. Because God's creatures, the ones that He made, don't trust Him enough to speak truth. It continues through your, through your Old Testament record. It continues. I'll just read a couple of verses here for you. I wrote them down because they're so powerful. The Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament writers, they, they, they said the same thing. Proverbs 25.18. Listen to this one. I said 20, uh, Proverbs 25.18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Hear that? The damage that a lying man has is like a war club. Have you ever been the recipient of the damage of a lie? It's horrible. You know you've been lied about. Someone is is deceived or or directly lied about you. And you know it's it's just running like crazy. Have you noticed how lies travel faster than truth? It's just the way it works. And it's like a war club. It's like a war club going through the masses. And the father of lies rubs his hands in victory. Listen to, listen to Jeremiah chapter 9. Hear this. Jeremiah 9, verses 3 through 6. Speaking of false prophets, people who are claiming to be speaking for God, and listen to what Jeremiah, well, the Lord says through Jeremiah to them. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor, and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, hearing oppression upon oppression, and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know Me, declares the Lord. There is no such thing as a little white lie. Why? Why? Because God calls us as His followers. I'm speaking now to His followers. I'm speaking to people who know Him. If He is not your Savior and not your Lord, you will speak the language of your father, Satan, and lie. But if you've been reborn, not morally improved now, if you've been reborn and you are a new creature, God calls for us to trust Him enough. To trust Him enough to speak the truth. To speak the truth. I appreciate the the freedom that there is in truth. The freedom there is when there's no deceit. The freedom there is to, to not be worried about somebody coming behind you and checking you and, and seeing you know, your, your history on your, on your Explorer, Internet Explorer or you know, the, the track of where you've been on your GPS on your phone. There's, there's freedom in knowing that I'm just living truthfully before God. This is what God calls us to. That kind of freedom. The Father of lies. He invites us to shame. He invites us to evil. He invites us to fear, to death, to destruction. 
It continues. I just want to keep going here because it just doesn't go away. Into your New Testament now. Well, I'll have you turn to a couple of these. Okay, Turn with me to John chapter 14. This is a passage you should be familiar, very familiar with. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is one you should know and you should have it marked in your Bible. This is one you should go to often in our, in our just absolutely pluralistic world that says everything is okay. Everything is okay as long as you are you know, faithful to your beliefs or whatever. This is an important verse. John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Me. But what I want to, want to just want you to see is this repeated theme that Jesus brings to the table of truthfulness. Truthfulness. I'll, I'll mention the references. We won't take time to turn there because I'm going to burn through them. Okay? Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ is called the faithful witness. The faithful witness. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33-34. Jesus corrects this whole idea of a, of a false sort of witness and a false promise. And He says this, let what you say be simply yes or no. You want to make some big promise? You want to say, I really mean it, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye? No. Those are the words of a deceiver. I said that to my parents when I was a little kid because I was lying, Right? That's why we would say that. I was lying. And I thought if I add all these promises to it, it will make my lie seem more believable. And they wisely knew. Nah, we're not buying it. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. The value of truth. The value of truth. Colossians 3.9, Paul just says it plainly. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Hear this one. Actually, you should turn to this one because it's really good. Go to Romans chapter 3. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 is explaining to us the, the fruit, the fruit of the sons or daughters of the father of lies. The fruit of the sons and daughters of the father of lies. This is what the father of lies does in a life. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, It is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, notice so far, all we've had are general statements of evilness. So far, it's been all evilness. Man is evil. Man on his own is evil. And now in this awesome passage, God is now going to get specific. He's going to get specific and let us know. Let us see. It's like, it's like a doctor sticking a thermometer in your mouth. Do you have a fever? Oh, yes, you do. Here comes the thermometer. The very first one, notice what it says. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. This is where, this is where the father of lies reveals himself. It's in our words. It's in our words. 
God created man and woman. On the sixth day, God made humans. Now, He made all the other animals that day as well, each according to its kind. But when He came to the human, when He came to man, He decided in all of His wisdom to do something unique. This is only true of one of God's creatures. He said, we will make man in our image. Genesis 1, verses 26-27. Part of that image of God, now it's a very complex thing. The image of God, I mean, come on, He's infinite, right? But part of that image of God is the ability to willfully and independently communicate. And the primary means that God has designed us to communicate is with our tongue. With our words. Our words mean a lot. They reveal who our Father is. Truthfulness reveals the presence of our Father in heaven. And I just want to say this, just to wrap up this little you know, theology of lying. Okay, I, I want you to know that the liar isn't done. The father of lies is not done. He will continue to lie. He will continue to lie and deceive humans and, and encourage them to rebel against God. I'll just, I'll just hit a couple of verses here just to let you... We need to feel the weight of what the enemy of God is at work doing. I'll, again, I'll, just, I'll mention the reference. If you want to write them down, you can look at them later. But I think just hearing it will be enough. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-11. through 2 Thess 2, 9-11. Listen to what it says. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. When Satan comes to try to overthrow God, he will use deception. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says that he is the ancient serpent who is called the devil, who is called Satan, the deceiver of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4, to listen to this. Paul writes, now hear this. He says, and if the Gospel is veiled, if the Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So Paul's saying, so if you see in people's lives, maybe you've, maybe you've experienced this, you share truth with somebody, and it's almost like there's a blind between you and them. Have you ever had that experience? You try to talk to somebody about the Lord, you try to, you try to reach, you might pour your heart out to them, you try to reach out to them from the Lord, from your heart, and they just look at you like, I don't, I don't get it, man, I don't get it. I don't know what you were looking for. I don't get it. I've been there. And I walk away and I think, veiled. Veiled. It's not time yet. But time will come. Look what it says. Who's veiling? And if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Satan is at work, and his tool that he uses is deception. It's lies. It's lies. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, the way that it's said here is, you shall not bear false witness. Now, let's just talk about this in context a little bit, just for a minute, so we understand what's going on here. We need to realize that this is written about 1400 B.C. That's about 3,500 years ago. Okay? And it's in the desert, and it's, you know, I mean, it's a long, long time ago. And it's very, very different than what things are for us today. I mean, just a few things. I mean, just point some things out that are relevant to this passage. Okay? When Moses wrote this down, actually God wrote this with his finger on stone tablets, and Moses then communicated to the people of God. You need to realize a few things. There are no policemen. There are no policemen in Israel. That's that's not the way it worked. There's no jails. There are no jails. There's there's no prison guards. That's not what's happening. There there isn't a, a civil court system like what we know here in America. That's not the way it worked. Here's what happens. When there's a crime committed from one person to another, say somebody steals something. Most likely it happens from somebody that you know. It's a neighbor right across the sand. Okay? And they come over and take something of yours. And now this is the way that God set this up to work. The accuser comes with witnesses, and the one who is allegedly guilty of the crime may have a witness as well. And they bring that case before the the sort of community elders. Some representatives that have been really put in place by Moses, and they hear the witnesses, they hear what happens, What happened, that is, they they make a decision and then they they proclaim that decision and the results of it, the punishment or the acquittal, happens right now. Right now. And it's almost always either restitution, in other words, you have to pay back plus interest, or death. That's pretty much the court system in Moses' day. So you have an accusation, you have one that's accused, they both have witnesses, The elders here, they determine the truthfulness of the two witnesses. They give their verdict, and right now the sentence is is followed through. In that setting, a false witness is a big deal, is it not? That's why in Deuteronomy 17 it said that many things had to be under under the umbrella of two or three witnesses. But what we see now as we go beyond the Ten Commandments into the rest of the Bible is that God, as He always does, expands this into a a greater understanding of what God desires for His people. And what He desires is truthfulness. I want to show you four places we see this in Scripture. Four places, okay? Pastor Billy read the first one for us. Psalm chapter 15. We're all over our Bible today, okay? Go ahead and turn there. Psalm chapter 15, in the middle of your Bible, okay? Go to Psalm chapter 15. It's a great psalm. Pastor Billy read it. I hope you listen to it. It's all about honesty. It's all about honesty. And what I want to share with us today is really a theology of our word. Our word. Remember, God made us as communicators. So our word really matters. The theology of our Word. What does God have to say about the words that come out of our mouth? Our Word. First of all, Psalm chapter 15, 
Okay? Verse number 4, look what it says there. We won't take time to read the whole thing. We've already heard it once. But Psalm 15.4 says this, that a righteous man, a new man, look at verse 1. This is a righteous man. This is not a, this is not a morally improved man. This is a born-again man. Okay? This, is, this is not moralism. This is a new creature. What does a new creature do? Verse 4, he keeps his oath even when it hurts. I love that. He keeps his oath even when it hurts. The thing I want us to see about our word is we got to keep it. We got to keep it. Keep our words. Now, every one of these, I want you to see that it's a broader issue of trusting God. When God says to us, He is the Almighty God, the Almighty Lord, when He speaks of putting people into positions of government, when He speaks of His sovereign control over all the earth, do you believe Him? Do you believe that God is sovereign over all? I know you do. You'll You'll shake your head, yes, I believe that. Okay, here's the test. You've made an oath. You've made a promise. I will pay this. I will do this. I will be there. I will be there at such and such time. The new man, he keeps it even if it hurts. It's called integrity, is it not? And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. We all know as as individuals how easy it is to lie, especially when it's going to cost me. I'm sorry, when it's going to save me, I think. When I think this lie will save me. But what I want us to see is that keeping our word, even when it hurts, is an exercise of sound faith. It's sound faith. That I will trust God, and I know if I'm honest on this, it's going to cost me financially. It may, it may cost me personally. It may cost me even my, my, you know, my own credibility. It's going to hurt my pride, but I'm going to keep my word. This is the words, this is the actions of a new man. So let this be a call for God to reveal that in your life. And I know how it works because I live it too. There's an opportunity for you to deceive. There's an opportunity for you to not keep your word and you think maybe it's to your benefit. And I know what happens if you're in Christ. I know the Spirit of God comes and whispers in your ear. And I want you to know what He's saying. Trust me enough to keep it. Trust me enough to keep it. James chapter 3. Let's go there. Let's go there. Not only do we keep it, but James says we need to guard it. We need to guard our word and guard our tongue. James 3 has a lot to say in verses 1 through 12. For sake of time, I'll just look at 5 and 6. James 3, 5 and 6. Listen to what it says. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. In other words, it's there in our body and it stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Our tongue itself is a very damaging thing 
We must guard it. James said, be slow to speak. Particularly in the area of deception. And can I just say this? It's, the, the tongue here is like a forest fire, right? And the damaging fire that it is. The reality is the most damaging person from that, the flame of our lying tongue is the owner of the tongue. I'll give you another story where I don't come out looking that great. Okay? But I remember one time a very stupid lie that I told to my father. 16 years old, okay? 16 year olds in the room, don't do this, okay? But one Friday night, me and my buddies are out riding around and going to a football game, and I'm driving my dad's car, and as weird as it might sound to you, I had a wreck, okay? And I hit a manhole. Don't ask me to explain, okay? It just happened, all right? So I hit a manhole. And like the car is broken now. I mean, the wheel's like, and the, the steering wheel broke. And my, the long story short, my friend in the back seat goes flying and lands up in the hood of the, or on the, the, you know, the dashboard. I mean, it was a, it was a bad moment. And I didn't want to tell the truth. So that night, I somehow nursed my car. I remember dri- you had to drive like this. Remember that car? I mean, now the, the, instead of driving like this to keep it straight, you had to drive like this because the wheels were instead of being like this were now cockeyed because I hit this manhole. All right, so I go home and you know park the car and tiptoe into the house, you know, and good night, mom, good night, dad, and, and go to bed. Now, as I recall, the next morning we're going on a family trip. Okay, yeah. Let me tell you, I didn't sleep that night. I mean, all night I tossed and turned. Thinking, okay, how, how am I going to get through this? What, how am I going to cover up this lie? So we get up the next morning, we pack the car. Okay, I don't know where we're going, but you know, the little car is all packed full of stuff. And my dad gets in the car, the steering wheel, you know, is all sitting weird. It's broken. The steering wheel is broke. Okay, it's snapped. I think he starts to back up a little bit, you know, instantly directly going around in a circle because it's so out of a line. I'm exaggerating, but he comes to me and he says, so, uh, what happened to the car? Now, at that moment, I had an opportunity. Did I not? But this thing caught on fire, okay? It's on fire. And I then crafted this story. I was riding down the road, and this horrible group of people were coming the other way. I think they were like KKK or something. I don't know. You know, I'm making some of this up. But they're, they're coming the other way and they're on the wrong side of the road and they're yelling at me and throwing, you know, beer cans at me. And, and I swerved off the road and I hit this big rock. But you can thank God because I'm alive. <laughs> now, I think my father, he might have lied once in his life too. Because he saw through it. You know, I remember he said, really? A big rock. Along the road. Yeah. It's scary. I think they, they're going to come back and look for me tonight. We better hide, right? I mean, I'm just making all these stories up. And then he said this. Let's go find that rock. So we got in the car. And we're driving down. Limestone Road was 3.1 miles. And I'm telling you, I am looking all over the place, riding down the road, looking for a giant rock, you know, that I can blame this accident on. If I see this little pebble along, I think it was a piece of broken blacktop. You know, that's it, that's it, right there, right there. So we pulled off, and my father wisely, oh, this did it, huh? Okay, all right. 
Well, let's go on back to the house. So I go back to the house. I'm 16 years old, 5 foot 11, 135 pounds. You can laugh because it's funny. Yes, I know. String bean. Right into, the, right into the house. Now, guilt is coming. We pull into the driveway. We stop. And I just burst out crying. <laughs> Remember that? Cried. Why are you crying? I lied to you. I lied. Told the story. Now, that's a silly example. But if we're walking around as new creatures, if we're walking around as new creatures, and our tongue is on fire from Satan, the father of lies, there's nobody burning more than you. There's nobody more miserable than you. The man or woman who is the new creature, who's walking around in deception, is miserable. You are miserable. God has made it clear, and He will not be mocked. He will make you miserable if you are His child. He will make you miserable. There is freedom. There is freedom in truth. Ephesians 4.29 Use your tongue for good. Look at You can read that verse. It's very clear. You know, it, it speaks of how we are to use our tongue for building others up. But I want to go one more place as I wrap up my time. And go with me here to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Let's see another place where the tongue is to be used. The theology of our word. How our words matter. How God puts lots of weight in what comes out of our mouth. Be it deception or be it honesty. It reveals much about us. What comes out of our words, it's, it's how God has made us. That out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. God has made you with a fruit portrayer in your mouth. Whether it speaks lies, like the father of all lies, or whether it speaks truth, like our new father, those who are adopted in Christ. But Romans 10 has something to say about what comes out of your mouth that is beautiful. It's beautiful. It even calls it beautiful. Romans chapter 10. Let's just read for a minute. Verse 9. Look what it says here. If you confess with your mouth, and in your heart that is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. You see your tongue there? You see your mouth? Calling out with truth on God. Verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's more about the mouth. There's more about the tongue. 14, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how do they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So do not hear moralism today. This is not, don't lie anymore. This is not, try really hard to be honest. That's not what this is. That is not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of Christ. That's moralism. And believe me, many moral people will spend eternity in hell. Moralism never saves. Only being born again will save. But how are we born again? How are we born again? We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. Remember what I said early on. Man is so evil, man is so immoral that he cannot be improved. The only hope he has is dying and then being resurrected to life. And that, folks, is what the cross is. Jesus dying in our place and then raising to life, bringing us new life. It's why the Lamb of God came. It's why He laid down His life for us.